1: The reason the crucifixion is so important to the Christian. Next, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, join us today. Greetings and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. You know, as deaths go, there have been billions of them throughout the course of human history. But the reason the death of Jesus is so important for you and I is, well, not just because of his death, but what took place afterwards. You see, if it just remained a death, then it wouldn't be worth talking about. But you see, there's a resurrection on the other side of this crucifixion. And that is what we're focused on today. Please join us. Jesus' Resurrection, Part 1. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose.
2: Early in the morning Sunday, April the 7th, A.D. 30, several women, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, came to the tomb to anoint the corpse of Jesus with preserving spices and ointments. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The Apostle Matthew tells us that a bright and shining angel from heaven rolled it away and that caused a mighty earthquake to impress the women with the revelation and the mystery and the majesty and the power of God in this particular event. The soldiers who were assigned to guard the tomb were paralyzed with terror at what this angel did. When the women went into the guarded tomb, they found that Jesus' body was gone, and the linen that wrapped his body was neatly folded at the place where he was laid. The women, as you might expect, were terrified, thinking someone had stolen Jesus' body, not really knowing what had happened. In the tomb, two angels appeared to them, and they told them that Jesus had risen from the dead just as he proclaimed to them. Luke, in his account, verses 5 through 7, says this, And as the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground, the men said to them, that is, these angels in human form, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? Matthew records what the angel said like this, And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying and go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. At that moment, the three women remembered Jesus' prophecy. Then they ran to tell the apostles And on their way, they met the resurrected Christ, who commanded them to go and tell the apostles and the other disciples. When they told them what the angels told them, no one believed them. Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself, but he was uncertain and astonished at what he saw. The apostle John adds several other details that were remitted from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's read together. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself." So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and saw and believed for as yet they said not understand for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead so the disciples went away again to their own homes but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping and so as she wept she stooped and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting on the, at the head of the one at sitting at sit, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Also, Matthew 28 tells us that when the soldiers guarding the tomb reported to the chief priests about the angel, the chief priests paid off the soldiers handsomely and told them to say that some of Jesus' disciples came to the tomb at night and stole away his body, while the soldiers, who were supposed to be on guard, were asleep. Now, what was the resurrection of Jesus all about? What was its meaning, its significance, its purpose, its effects? These are some of the things, Lord willing, that I'm going to talk about today and next week. But let me begin by reading to you a paragraph from our own doctrinal standards, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 52, that asks, how was Christ exalted in His resurrection? And it answers, Christ was exalted in His resurrection in that not having seen corruption in death of which it was not possible for him to be held, and having the very same body in which he suffered with the essential properties thereof, but without mortality and other common infirmities belonging to this life, really united to his soul, he rose again the third day by his power, whereby he declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have vanquished death, and him who had the power of it, and to be Lord of the living and the dead, all which he did as a public person, that is, as a representative of us, the head of their church for their justification, quickening in grace, support against enemies, and to assure them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. Now, the first thing I need to bring out about The resurrection of Jesus is that it is as historical as any other event in the life of Jesus. His birth was real. His baptism was real and historical. Every miracle He performed was real. Every word that He spoke was real and true. His suffering and His death were real. And His resurrection from the tomb was just as historical as anything else in His life. In other words, the way the church has always explained this is that he actually arose and in the very same body in which he suffered. That is, the body that went into the tomb is exactly the same body that came out of that tomb, except it was transformed and glorified no longer capable of dying, no longer possessing any of the other affirmities that belong to this fallen life. In other words, to say it simply, the resurrection of Christ was a physical, historical resurrection. When they went to the tomb, they found that his body was gone. It's amazing how many people tried to deny the fact that Jesus physically rose from the dead. One person said, those make fools of themselves who try to deny the physical resurrection of Jesus. But the scoffers say that Jesus passed into a deep coma on the cross, and the civil authorities were deceived into believing he was actually dead. The spear wound, merely superficial. And the coolness of the tune revived him. And the the disciples nursed him back to health. And he survived for 45 days. And at the end of that time, he then really did die. And the whole story of his resurrection was prefabricated for the benefit of his disciples. And then the body was secretly disposed of to prevent any discovery of fraud. Arthur Custance brings out the absurdity of this view when he writes, The difficulty which face anyone who seriously holds such a view are overwhelming, and more so as they are more carefully examined. It is difficult indeed to suppose, for example that one who had suffered the appalling strains and stresses of the previous hours, both physical and emotional, to be nailed to the cross, receive a severe wound in the chest, be laid in a cold tomb, and there revive and find energy enough with such wounds in his hands, feet, and chest to brace himself from inside of the tomb against the stone and move it, which stones certainly could not be rolled back except from the outside, and which was far too heavy for the women themselves to move. So why do we believe that Jesus arose from the dead? Do we ask science to prove it? Do we ask archaeology to prove it? Do we look to logic to prove it? Beloved, we don't need any of those props or crutches. God has spoken. God raised Jesus from the dead. He said he died. Not to believe that irrefutable fact is to deliberately suppress the inescapable truth in unrighteousness. Now, I made the point that Jesus arose in the same body in which he suffered. A physical body, and it's important to constantly bear that out, to make that emphasis, but we must also emphasize that his body, though the same, was also different, because after his resurrection, he left a very different impression on people who saw him than he did before his resurrection. After his resurrection, those who saw him were startled. Many were afraid. Many of them, though, threw themselves down before him and worshipped him. But he appeared in another form than that which he had before manifested. And sometimes he was not immediately recognized. The same body, though different, because it was glorified. Now, Lazarus arose from the dead through Jesus' ministry. But there's a great difference between the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. Because when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he went back to his former earthly sphere of life and continued living with his family, Mary and Martha, as he had always done. He just went back to his normal life. Not so, Jesus. In His resurrection, Jesus does not go back to His normal life on earth. He goes ahead, forward into the future in a way that leads to His ascension and His reign over all of life. And that helps us explain a difficult passage in the Bible. We read it a few minutes ago. In John nineteen seventeen, when Mary is there at the tomb and she sees Jesus arisen from the dead... She wants to enjoy companionship with him, just like always, just like normal. And Jesus says to her, don't touch me, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. In other words, Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, he belongs to the earth no longer. He didn't arise from the dead to go back to a normal kind of life. Now he belongs to heaven. And that's why his form has changed even though he has assumed the same body that he laid in the grave. It is the same body vastly different. And Paul explains it this way in 1 Corinthians 15:42 through 47. Now please, I'm not going to explain every word in this passage or we would literally be here all day and probably into the next day because this is an extremely difficult passage. But Paul here explains the difference in Christ's appearance and body. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. Now, it's obvious by reading that, that it is a very difficult passage of Scripture. And a lot of people have misused this passage to show that Jesus was not raised physically, but that he was a life-giving spirit. They say that in some way his spirit was just lifted out of his body. And that he no longer has a physical body. He is a pure spirit that pervades the universe. Well, that is a total misconception, of course, of this passage. And it flies in the face of what the Bible teaches over and over again. So let me explain quickly what's going on here. It is a contrast... Paul is making a contrast between pre-resurrection bodies of believers and post-resurrection bodies of believers. He is contrasting what the bodies and existence of believers are like before the resurrection and what the bodies and existence of believers will be like after their resurrection. It will be the same body. When you and I die, that which will arise from the grave will be the same body that was placed into the grave, but vastly different. The acorn and the massive oak tree are the same plant, right? But oh, the difference. Thousands of times larger and greater and more glorious than the acorn. But the tree came from the acorn the body that goes into the grave is weak mortal natural it comes out of the grave vastly transformed immortal and glorious you see there is a continuity between our pre-resurrection bodies and our post-resurrection bodies but there is also a dramatic and miraculous discontinuity Because when we are raised from the grave, everything, body and soul, is transformed. In fact, the nature of our bodies and existence here on this side of the grave is determined by the body and existence of the fallen Adam. And that's why life is called natural. The word natural means our bodies in this life have the characteristics that characterized Adam's life after the fall. Weakness, corruption, mortality. But when we are raised from the dead, that new body of ours will be determined by that of the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me read to you some other passages concerning the nature of Christ's resurrected body. Turn to 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five and you see this phrase that people have very often twisted it says the last adam becomes a life giving spirit the last adam is christ and it's talking about his resurrection when he became a life giving spirit in second corinthians 3:17 it says now the lord is the spirit That is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit of God, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Those are obviously difficult passages, but when you see them in their context, you see that he is not obliterating the differences of the persons between God the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is a historical distinction. That is... Whenever, wherever the Son of God is, the Holy Spirit is. These persons are different. Their presence is the same. And when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, it made Him spiritual with a capital S. Now, spiritual in the Bible doesn't mean something you can poke your hand through, something that is not as real and solid as a physical mass. That is not what the word spiritual means. The word spiritual means, in the Bible, spirit-produced, spirit-filled, spirit-transformed, spirit-qualified. That is the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ now in heaven, completely transformed and filled and qualified with the Spirit of God, so that now wherever the Spirit of God is, the Son of God is. We're going to have communion here in a few minutes. And we're going to talk about the Son of God being present with us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is here. And whenever the Holy Spirit is there, the resurrected Christ is. Now I hope I didn't make things worse by explaining these things to you. But I want you to see that this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't refute the historical and the physical nature of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is another verse, 1 Corinthians 15:22 that I want us to look at, which states, "For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ also all shall be made alive." Now, let me rearrange the words without twisting the text. And but, but to hopefully make it a little more clear for all of you. It says, for all who are in Adam die, so also who are in Christ shall be made alive. Now you have in this verse one of the most important phrases in all of the New Testament. In Christ. Beloved, you should all do a study of it sometime. In Christ. Everything. in the Bible is related to that. Everything we have as Christians, we have because of our vital union in Christ.
1: And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just five dollars. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you again. Won't you call 408 866 5607 or? reformedheritage.org Sunday services by the way if you'd like to join us are two in the afternoon we're located at Lone Hill Church 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website reformedheritage.org again Sunday services are at 2pm. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408 thank you for joining us until next time